Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. All right. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing well? It's good to see you. Thank you, Mel. Um, it's good to see you all. It feels like it's been a long time. I, I don't actually recall the last time I was uh, preaching, so uh, hopefully this goes well today. Um, but it's good to be back. It's good to be here. Um, I spoke sometime at the beginning of December, and then I just decided, you know, I'm just not going to speak. You know, it's just part of my job description. I'm not going to fulfill for the next month and a half. Of course, which is not how it went. Um, but we had some online services in there, and um, Pastor Nate filled in for me last week, which, uh, w- which was awesome. And uh, I'm really excited to be speaking. This is the first time I'm speaking live um, in 2023, and I just want to bring, hopefully, some encouragement to us uh, as we start our year. And as we find ourselves in the midst of a new series, um, all about resiliency, uh, I really believe that you know God's going to speak to us in a way that's going to allow us to um, really thrive in this year, and not just as individuals, but actually as his church. And so um, we, at the beginning of this year, the one thing that we wanted to do is we wanted to basically speak to some things that we could take with us into our new year. And as, uh, as we thought about this, we didn't want to just come about this in the way of, um, uh, we didn't want to just come about this in the way of just encouraging you to be your best self, but we actually want to uh, follow God's will for our life. And so we thought, hey, what a, what, a, what a better thing to do than to um, look at the life of Paul. Paul is this guy that wrote, you know, two-thirds of the New Testament. He was one that was persecuting Christians, but then came one of the, became one of the uh, largest voices for the church, the early church. And so we want to look at his life and go, okay, what can we learn from Paul's life that we can apply to our own lives at the beginning of 2023 so that when we look back at our lives at the end of this year, that we might actually uh, see a difference in our lives. And so Right now, we're going to read from a passage in Philippians, and we're going to look at chapter 4. The letter, um, uh, the, the, the book of Philippians, uh, the letter that is written to the church in Philippi, was written to a church that Paul was really grateful for. And, uh, oh, that's too bad. She was just so excited. Okay, she's still be there. Okay, good, good, good. I was like, this is encouraging. Like, sometimes the, the morning, the 9 a.m., as I was saying, is like really quiet. And that was at least nice to have some feedback. So, that's great. Okay. Um, And uh, the church at Philippi was like a really healthy church. It was a church that was filled with um, with a lot of a lot of people operating uh, in, in a, at a certain level of formation. That Paul actually spends the majority of his letter just thanking the church in Philippi. Paul's in prison, and. Uh, the church in Philippi sends like a gift basket, essentially, uh, a, a donation to Paul while he's in prison to sustain him while he's there. And Paul's just so thankful. And he's, he's just like, he's, he's so overcome by gratefulness towards this church. And so uh, while there are many letters that Paul writes to different churches, and those letters will be encouragements and trying to like um, encourage them in some level of like changing their behavior or whatever else. And in the book of Philippians, what we have is actually just a, a, a Paul that's very grateful for the church. And after all of this gratefulness, he finishes the letter with these words. And it says this in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, I'm not saying this. Actually, let's start in verse 10. 
He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Why don't we pray? And then we will uh, dive into uh, this word today. God, we come here this morning. We just want to thank you that we have the opportunity to come here, that we have the health to show up, that we have the freedom to show up, that, God, we have the agency to show up. And, God, as we come here and we've just spent some time worshiping you, ascribing to you your worth, Lord, I pray that we would be overcome with a sense of awe of, of who you are in this place this morning. Jesus, I pray that we would be, um, we, we, we would, we would be um, more deeply convicted about what you're trying to do in the world today and what you're doing in our lives um, as we leave this place, even more than when we entered it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, this morning, I want to talk on contentment, and I want to talk on contentment as it relates to the trials that we go through in our lives. On uh, Thursday night, my mother and I got to go to a Leafs game, and uh, this was a result of um, this was the result of a Christmas gift. And my dad, he always does the thing where my mom buys all of the presents for the whole family, and then my dad runs out maybe a day before. I've taken on this tradition, by the way. I'm not trying to put him down. Um, he, he goes out the day before, maybe two days before, and he buys all of his own gifts. And so I always remember, like, um, as a kid growing up and getting, like, a brand-new hockey stick that I've been wanting. And because of his lateness, he had to make the, the, the present really grand in order to, like, win us over because we're always like, oh, I bought, bought it late. But when Dad hands you a $250 hockey stick, you're like, oh, it's not that bad. Like, you know. And so this year, and I don't know when he planned this, and Dad's going to be watching this uh, in Coburg next week, so Dad, love you. Um, and you taught me something. This is what I do for our family now. Um, but one of the things he did is he bought me and, and my mother uh, 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 tickets to go to the Leafs game. And I was like, this is great. And it said, like, hey, your brother's been able to go to a few games with your mom, and so you should go to a couple of, you know, you should go to a couple of games. We should go to a couple of games, Dad. You should go to a game with your mom. And, uh, and so I, I got to the, the Leafs game on Thursday. I'm like, Dad, like, Dad wrote this in, like, the gift, like, Taylor's been able to go to a bunch of games. I'm like, I thought he only went to one game with you. And she's like, oh, no, we've been to, like, five. And I'm just like, what? Like, I've never been to a game with you. And she's like, oh, yeah, well. And I'm like, okay, now I know who the favorite sibling is. And um, so, anyways, we're there. And uh, the funny thing is, is Adam Van Egden, who is just on the platform just a moment ago, while we're checking through security, his dad, his name's Ted, uh, was in security, and he was telling me this story that Adam just told you. He's like, did you hear what happened to our cottage? I'm like, no. And I'm like, did the, did the local do this? Did they flood your, you know, and we got into this conversation. But um, I'm telling you this because, like, Thursday night was, like, a really good night. My mom and I, it was a stressful week this past week. My mom and I go, and my mom had texted me earlier in the day, and she's like, hey, I'm doing a bulk barn run. I'm going to pick up some treats for the game. What would you like? And I'm like, it's just so good to have a mom that loves me. I'm like, please, some sour gummy worms would be amazing. And so we're sitting there, and I'm eating, like, sour gummy worms, and, like, the Leafs are winning, and I'm there with my mom, and I'm just like, this is so nice. It's like heaven on earth. You know, you're driving home, and you are just got this thought going through in your head. You're like, man, if every day could be like today, that would be amazing. 
But unfortunately, we know, like, this is just not the way that life goes. And in fact, like, it's like the majority of our life is not spent in this type of uh, uh, th- this type of life. We, we, don't, we don't find ourselves on the mountaintop for the majority of our lives. And so when we read a passage like um, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he says, listen, I have learned to be content in all things. It's something that highlights in our minds. And we go, okay, what is that? Because I need that. I don't just need it because Paul says he has it. I need it because my human experience is that I'm content when I'm at a Leafs game with sour gummy worms with my mom, that I didn't pay for tickets, and my cottage didn't flood. And, like, I'm, like, content in that moment because everything is good. But am I content in the moments when there's more work to be done than than I feel I have time for? Am I content in the moments when my child comes home with a new word from school that I wasn't expecting to hear? And now I'm wondering which of their friends said that word. Am I content in the moments when somebody rubs me the wrong, wrong way at work and I, and, I, and I lash out at them and now I'm, now I'm feeling a little insecure in the way that I've been operating? Am, am, I, am I content in the moments of life that, have nothing, that, that, that seem to have nothing to do with the, with the direction or the life that God actually has for me? Over and over again, Within scripture, we read of this contentment that it's almost an expectation for those that are following Jesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 10, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Not just gain, it is great gain. Like godliness with contentment. Like you, you can have godliness but, it, but a discontent spirit. But it's great gain to have contentment within your spirit. It's, it's even more beneficial to your life and, I, I would argue, to the lives of the believers around you when you can not only have Christ on the inside of you, but you can have Christ on the inside of you with contentment. We only need to look at the lives of the Israelites where God would provide for them. And they had God leading them by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. They had God with them and he would show up and and smoke and they could visibly see him. and, And all of this was happening and yet there was such discontentment in the camp. It would lead them to wandering. It would lead them to complaining. It would lead them to curses. And so here in Timothy, he's saying like, listen, just having God with you is not enough. Are you content with God in you? For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for more money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 13 verses 4 to 6. It says, Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and and all the sexually immoral. He goes on to say, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I've got one more um, passage where, where, where contentment is the main theme that I want to read out. But I, but I also want to point out that for a lot of us in the room, if we haven't heard that, some of us may not have heard that verse before, um, that I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. 
You may not have heard that, that, that before, but for a lot of us, we have. And so often we use that as a way to encourage those around you. Just, just remember, God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But even in this passage in Hebrews, it's within the context of making sure that our main desire is with God. Listen, if our main desire is with God, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But if you have these alternative desires that are gripping you and pulling you away from God, he might never leave you or forsake you, but you might be leaving him. You might be forsaking him. He might be distant from you because of your own desires. In Matthew chapter 6, 28 to 34, God, or Jesus is expanding on this idea in the way that only Jesus can. He just so eloquently puts things and puts our worries to rest. And he says, why do you worry about clothes? Which is what I do every single Sunday morning when I'm like, what should I wear? I've got like four shirts and like two pairs of pants. I'm like, what combination can I wear today that makes people think that I have more than what I actually have? You know, literally, I've got four Lululemon t-shirts and I've got two pairs of Lululemon pants. And I'm like, what kind of sweater can I throw over that that makes people think that I'm not just wearing the same thing every day, which is what I do. Anyway, see how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And I like that. Because he's not speaking to all of those giants of the faith in the room today that feel like you can just wake up praising God's name. He's saying, no, you of little faith, won't God clothe you? Not, he's not saying, I'm going to clothe the best, best Christians in the world, in the room. He's not saying those that have, have, have a certain degree of morality. In the, no, no, he's saying those that follow you, those with little faith, I'll even clothe you. For the pagans run after all of these things. I may have jumped past a little bit, but that's okay. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In our lives, contentment sounds like a good thing. And yet when we actually put it into practice in our day-to-day, we just find ourselves discontent over and over and over again. You know, this past week, um, I've um, behind the scenes been working on, on a few things that I hope that we can be a little bit more transparent with uh, as a church. The really good things, the things that God's been working on in the background for the last number of months. And I hope in the, in the coming weeks, we're going to be able to just share a little bit of what God's been doing behind the scenes with our church and, and just some of the things that he seems to be bringing us into. They're really exciting things. And uh, as I've been working through these things, I've been going through the wrestling that as any human will, that any human will go through, feelings of, of lack, like, God, maybe I'm, like, insecurity. Maybe I'm not cut out for what you're calling us to as a church, or maybe I'm not actually going to be able to bring this to it. And in the midst of this, I also feel the crunch of just family life. And, and I think, God, I don't have enough time for my kids, it seems like, at times. And I don't have not enough time to work through these things. And I don't have enough time to, to, to prepare myself for what I feel like you're, you, you want me to speak tomorrow. And, and I go through all of these things throughout my week, and yet what Paul is trying to get at is no matter what circumstances circumstances we find ourselves in, what we need to be seeking is contentment. Now, we might say, hey, this is good for a Bible writer to write. 
It's easy for somebody who's so holy like Paul to be writing that I've learned to be content in all things. But Paul, I've got a real life that I'm worrying about. I've got a real mortgage or I'm trying to get a mortgage. I, I've got a real job where I'm trying to hold on to a job or get a job. I, I have real concerns in my life today. And one of the things I appreciate about Paul, he's a very, he's a very transparent writer within uh, scriptures. And one of the things that he goes to great lengths to do is to remind us that he's a very real human. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 16 to 33, there's this title um, over this passage within um, uh, most of our Bibles that says, Paul boasts about his sufferings. And so he takes this time to actually tell you, like, listen, I'm saying this not from a, a place of inexperience, but I'm telling you that you can find contentment from a place of experience, literal human experience, probably worse than what most of us, though not all of us in this room, have experienced. He says this, um, and he's trying to justify it. I'm not going to get into the context of this passage. We don't have time this morning. But he's talking about all of the things that he's gone through. He says, I am more. I've worked much harder been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. I don't, I don't know if I'd make it through one of those, to just be completely honest. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Thought just came to my mind. I'm like, man, I like I have a hard time getting out and playing paintball. This guy was like stoned. He's like, yeah, I've learned to be content in it. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my own concern, of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Paul is saying, listen. This contentment that I have, I have found has not been found from an easy life or a life of, of privilege or a life of riches or a life of, of ease. I have found content in the midst of great persecution. And the comfort for us today in the midst of whatever we might be going through in the room right now is that God can provide contentment with, within whatever you are facing. So whatever anxiety you have brought into this place that you're trying to release in the midst of worship and you get to the end of worship, and you're like, man, I just wish we could have stayed there a little bit longer until that thing would just melt away in my mind and in my heart and in my soul. God can give you contentment even in the midst of that thing. Even in the midst of the thing that you're like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm comforted by God's presence in this room with other believers, but I know I'm going to walk out of this room and I'm going to feel that again. God can provide contentment even in that thing. In fact, most often what God is trying to do is provide contentment in the midst of our context. He's not trying to remove us from the things that we're facing. He's trying to show us that in the midst of the things we're facing, he is still God. See, God is certainly powerful, and this is something that we have to understand about the, the, the lives that we're living with Christ and following him. God is powerful to remove you from your context, but he's even more powerful to provide you contentment in the midst of it. Which is harder to do, to give you a better context or to provide contentment in the context you already find yourself in? 
I would argue from experience that no matter what context I find myself in, Brandon comes with me. Man, I, I have been in houses that we've owned, and, and Emma will tell you, where my OCD tendencies, and I don't mean like the fact that I just need to clean, like literal obsessions of my mind have kept me from enjoying that home. I've had to move, like we, we, we had to, to basically sell our last place because I couldn't handle some of the cracks, and, 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 and that's something I struggle with. But guess what? Only a few months into living in my new house, different context, guess what happens? Brandon finds a crack and continuously obsesses over that thing. Cars, I, I sold a car because I couldn't handle what was going on in the car. Guess what? Brandon comes with you in the next car. It's a brand new car. And guess what happens in that car? Brandon's anxieties come with him. I've been in relationship with people where I thought, if I just remove them from the picture, then I'll find contentment. And yet Brandon goes into a new relationship with new friends. And guess what? Brandon's still a part of the equation and maybe a bigger part of the equation than I ever realized. God can certainly, he is powerful enough to remove your, the context that you want removed or to bring you into a new context. But he's even more powerful to provide contentment in the midst of the context that you already find yourself in. I had a, a dream um, the other, the other um, an, uh, a few weeks ago that was actually quite um, disturbing to me. And um, I'm going to give you the high-level version because it was very personal. And um, I've woken up one time and, uh, and felt like there was something, uh, some, something um, supernatural about the dream that I had just experienced. Anybody ever have an experience like this? Um, for those of you that aren't, aren't uh, comfortable with the spiritual, supernatural, um, over time you can be. And uh, it shouldn't freak us out. In fact, I think that in some ways we quench the spirit when we don't realize that, that God is still trying to operate today in the way in which he did within scriptures. Through the prophetic, through, um, through, through, through the spirit in, in just wonderful ways. And, and what I can tell you, even as your pastor, even though I'm open to those things, dreams is not something that I usually pay too much attention to. But this one dream in my entire life, I woke up and I said, God, there's something about that. In this dream, I was, um, I was counseling uh, a woman. And it, this woman was not my wife. And uh, I was counseling this woman. And all of a sudden, in the midst of this dream, rather than counseling this woman, I take this woman's hand and I, I start walking with her through Waterloo. And I'm walking with her and I start to realize, even in the dream, like, man, I'm getting some comfort from this. And we walk all the way through Waterloo Region and we end up at a coffee shop and we sit down at the coffee shop and we start ordering drinks and, um, and whatever else. And in the midst of all this going on, I, I start to become very concerned with what's happening in this moment because I'm realizing that I'm not being faithful to my wife. Like I, I'm all of a sudden what was meant to comfort this individual has started to comfort me and I realize in this moment I have to put an end to what's happening. And so I say to this person, I say, listen, I cannot do this anymore. I have a wife, I have kids, like, I don't know why I'm here. And in my dream, all of a sudden I realize I have to go tell our overseers, those are the people that provide accountability to us and our, to me and our church. I have to tell them, and I know that this isn't going to cost me my position. I haven't slept with this woman. I haven't done anything but went on this weird kind of date that was meant to comfort them, but now it's comforting me. But I have to tell them, and it might not cost me my job but there's going to be some, some deep work that needs to happen in the midst of this. And I, and I feel like I need to go and, and, and tell our overseers about this. So I wake up from this dream, and I'm like, man, this is disturbing. I mean, if you know my wife, Emma, and you know our relationship, like I am, I'm like completely head over heels for this woman. And so the fact that this would happen in my dream, I was so disturbed. And, and so I go, and, 
I start getting ready for the morning, and I put my phone aside. And as I get ready for the morning, I start praying over this very intently. I said, God, what do you mean by this dream? And God speaks very clearly to my soul. He says, Brandon, you have been taking the hand of the world in comfort, and I need to be your comfort. You need to tell Jeremy, who's one of our overseers, that that, uh, the things you've been taking comfort in, and you need to reject those and take my hand, and I will bring you comfort. Very specific to me. So I finished get, getting ready for the day, open up my phone, and Jeremy is texting me out of the blue. He said, in a moment of prayer this morning, I just felt God tell me that I should tell you, you need to hold on to the Holy Spirit for comfort. I share this story for two reasons. One, I want you to expect things of the Spirit to happen in your life. I've never had a dream like this, but I, I seek things of the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit is the one that is going to sustain you. But secondly, I share this story because in many ways, I think it represents what a lot of us are walking through right now. We're taking the hand of the world for comfort rather than looking to Christ himself. What I mean by this is I will openly share the things that I've been taking comfort in. And similar to Jeremy, who after I gave him this list was, Brandon, you're actually doing fairly well. I want to tell you why it's important that we start to look at the things that we're looking for contentment in. The list of things that I wrote down as I went to a coffee shop that day by myself, not with, not with that person, not with any other person but myself, was things like watching YouTube just religiously, eating sugar, going out on spontaneous uh, times to go eat out because I was just trying to avoid things. What I started to realize is there's these whole host of things in my life that when I started to get stressed or anxious or things were going on in my life, that I would turn to these things. And for anybody else hearing these things, you're going to go like, what's bad about YouTube? What's bad about a little bit of sugar? What's bad about spontaneously going out to eat? What's bad about these things? And yet, if these things are the things we look to to receive comfort for, rather than Christ, they are taking the place that Christ wants to have in our life. You will not find contentment by avoiding the things in your life, but only by taking them to the feet of Jesus. And so Jeremy goes, this isn't This doesn't seem like a big deal. And I go, yes, but it is because I know these things are the things that are replacing the place that Christ wants to have in my life. I've been taking the world's hand for comfort, for contentment, for too long, and I need to look to Christ. Now, why do I bring this up? I bring this up because I hope that it will help you. But also, on the other side of Paul saying, I have learned to be content in all things, The question naturally arises in everybody's minds. Well, how do I get that contentment? In the midst of it, okay, so it's great. Like, I'm discontent. I want the contentment that Paul has. But how, how do I actually get this? Like, at the end of the day, how do I actually get the contentment that Paul is talking about? If this is such a great thing, if this is something that was able to come to him in the midst of intense persecution, well, how can I receive that sort of contentment? I want to bring our attention to a story of Jesus where he meets somebody, a woman, at the well. And this woman he begins to talk to and interact with. And, of course, 
scholars and people that would look at this passage where Jesus meets this woman at the well would, um, would, would start to suggest that, that this woman is at the well at this particular time in the day because she is a woman that feels a lot of shame. And this is a time in the day where people normally wouldn't go to the well. It's a very hot time of day. It's, 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 it's not a, a comfortable time. And so there's not a lot of people at the well. And this is why she, sh- she would have been going there. And the, the comfort that we can take in that story is that Jesus will show up in, in the most, most um, unique moments in our life to comfort us. Even in the midst of our shame, Jesus will show up and say, hey, even when you're trying to hide from all of those around me, I'm here because I I am present for those that are trying to seek me. And in the midst of this story, Jesus blurts out these words to this woman because he can see that she she is not contented. And he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever, he's talking about the well, whoever drinks the water I give them, this is a metaphor, will never thirst. Indeed, the word, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When he's referring to thirst, he's referring to desire and, 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 and expectation and these things that often offset our state of being discontent in our souls. He's saying, listen, when you take the things that I have for you, you will never thirst again. A passage, or a, a part of uh, an article that I came across today, uh, this week, sorry, um, around contentment, uh, quoted C.S. Lewis, and it says this, Lewis famously said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. When we give in to that desire for more, so rather than realize that the desires that we have can't be satisfied on this earth, if we actually give in to them, we will find our... Sorry, when we give into that desire for more, we will find ourselves satisfied by the things we're pursuing. You'll find satisfaction in sugar and YouTube and promiscuous relationships and having a conversation with somebody who's not your spouse. You'll find, you'll find some level of satisfaction in that. And this makes perfect sense. Our efforts to find contentment in worldly things are no more logical than a man who seeks romantic satisfaction from a robot. He says, listen, like these things can, you, you can find satisfaction in them, but it doesn't mean that it's going to satisfy the contentment of your soul. The person writing this article goes on to say later on, he says, the Puritans were not afraid to say that many who profess faith in Christ are not really Christians. Now let's, I'm not trying to make a doctrinal statement right now, but hear, hear the heart of what, what's, being, what's being shared here. Paul was not afraid to say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Many who are in churches today do not really know Christ. They have never really been satisfied with him because they have never really seen him. Rather, they are being strung along by the idea of him. Therefore, we really need to experience him. The antidote or the the solution for contentment in our lives is to draw so close to Christ that he is able to fulfill all of our deepest desires. That in the midst of our desire, in the midst of our, the things that we want, the things that we think we need, in the midst of all that, that we draw so close to Christ that he can be our contentment. That we could drink of that water and never be thirsty again. I wonder if we could all stand up in this place and... <clears throat> I just want to quickly pray and, and worship. Um, 
I want to take some more time to worship, but I want to ask this question. If you're here this morning and you've actually never made a decision to follow Jesus, um, maybe you're living with a, a, in a state, a perpetual state of discontent. What I can tell you is that there are some things that you could do in this world that would provide some level of contentment for a season. I mean, you could get that house that you want. You could get that car that you want. You could eat at that restaurant that you want. You could get into that relationship that you want. You could get that promotion that you want. You could get that title that you want. And yet you'll find yourself wanting again. Whereas the reason that we all find ourselves in this place today, and a lot of us, is that Christ is calling us to something deeper. He's calling us to drink from a well that will cause us to never thirst again. And if you're here today and you've never made a decision to trust in that well, to trust in that man, to trust in that God. His name is Jesus. Never decided to put your faith in what Jesus has done for us. He paid a price on the cross that we could not pay ourselves to bring us in back, back into relationship with God. For we had sinned and severed our relationship with him, and yet Christ lived a perfect life, lived a sinner's death to bring us back into relationship with God. And if you're here today, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I I want to suggest this morning, and I know that making a decision to orient your life in God's direction, surrendering yourself to him, is the best decision you can make in your life. So can everybody bow your heads and at least close your eyes? Just because this needs to be a private moment. Nobody should feel manipulated in moments like this. People, we share moments like this so that we could have a moment with God. If you've been sitting here and you don't know Jesus, if you've never chosen to follow him and something's been stirring inside of you, I want to suggest that that's God's spirit speaking to yours, saying, come to me, my child, and I will give you rest. Trust in me, for my burden is easy, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. If you're here today, you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, every eye closed, can you just raise a hand? Just say, hey, I'm not going to point anybody out. I just want to know who I'm praying for. But if that's you, you're just going, hey, this morning I want to make a decision to surrender my life to Jesus. If that's you, can you just raise a hand in this place? Amen. Is there anyone else? Yeah, thank you. Anyone else? Amen. Thank you. Let's pray for those that have raised their hands. Jesus, we thank you that you are who you say that you are. And the God in the midst of our discontentment, You're not surprised because you didn't orient us for the desires of this world. You oriented us to have a desire for you. And so Jesus, right now, as those that have raised their hand begin to surrender their lives to you, God, we pray that you would provide all they need on this new journey of faith. Surround them with community and people that will walk with them. Surround them with your love and surround them with direction so that day by day they may pick up their own cross and follow you. Jesus, we pray a blessing over their life and we pray that your spirit be with them. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Come on, can we celebrate those in the room that are making that decision? What song are we uh, planning on planning on singing here? A little bit of the passion and a little bit of what a beautiful name. Passion and a beautiful name. Well, why don't we, uh, why don't we sing that? And um, what I want you to hold in your hearts as we go to sing this, and I'll, I'll come pray in a second and we'll close. But as we sing this, like, man, what a, be- what a beautiful um, picture of what it means to be a part of God's church right now. Like, here's the thing. All of you this past week sinned. 
all of us. If for some reason we get to come together, we get to experience the presence of God, not because of what we've done this week, but because of what Jesus has done. And in the midst of our anxiety and trying to like get ahead of one another, even in people in this room and comparing ourselves, Jesus is still willing to show up in the midst of us and present himself to us as pure and blameless and beautiful and enough. And so as I've been speaking this morning, I really believe that God's been speaking and there's some level of discontentment. He's just, he's just re- unveiling in each and every one of us. And so what I want us to do today is to literally hand it over to God. So as we're singing here, just, just even symbolically, just, just hand it over to God and say, God, this is yours. As we begin to worship, just, just be, begin to lay that discontentment at his feet. And in return, receive the living water that causes us to never thirst. Draw closer to Christ. If you have that fear that maybe I don't really know, maybe I haven't been spending, then spend some time in his presence. Bask in his glory. Understand that a day in the house of the Lord is better than a thousand elsewhere. Bask in the presence of your Father. Bask in the glory of God. Bask in his Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us and leads us to a place of contentment. For God is good. Come on, let's begin to sing. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.